Good morning. Welcome to worship. Glad you're here with us this day. Good to be together. Uh, we have a few announcements. If you take out your bulletins, and we uh, will get started here. Uh, the tear-off portion in the back is for guests. Fill out the blue side and just put it in the offering plate that goes by. And if you have any questions or concerns or like to know how to not drop your music, <laughs> we can we can help you with that. So. Thank you all. And then on the other side is a place for prayer requests. You okay? We're good? Nobody's hurt. We're fine. Uh, and on the other place, a place for prayer requests. Just fill that out and put it in the offering plate as it goes by as well. Uh, on the back of your bulletins are opportunities for the week. And so we've got a good full week ahead of us. I wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody for Goalball. If you went to any of our three events, uh, we, we really had a wonderful time. It was such a blessing. Yesterday, we had just a tremendous uh, support from our congregation and from the participants and getting to meet the Olympian and all those things. It was, it was just a, it was a, a great day. And I will say this, like I said in the early service, this was all sort of a trial. I think that's what ministry sometimes is. You know, we, we, we got together. How could we reach and minister to this group of, of uh, people who work with the blind and the blind students? And, and so we tried these three goalball events as a church. And in doing so, I think God has really opened a door. They want to continue this with us, and we want to continue it with them. And I could see a lot of encouragement on their side. So thank you for doing that. They, they've been overwhelmed by your love and your support and how encouraging it was to them. And so I know there'll be more. If you've not been involved at this point, there's going to be more and more opportunities to get to know uh, these uh, wonderful people. So thank you. Um, so this week, uh, did you notice that, Tim? It says Monday, February 4th. I didn't even notice that. It's today. Today is Sunday, February 4th. Tonight we have our encounter service, RA's, GA's, Mission Friends, Children's Choirs, Adult Choir, and all those activities. Uh, if you'd like to come to the encounter service, 5 to 6, you get home plenty of time for the Super Bowl. If you want to watch that kind of thing, it's optional. Um, and then this week we do have uh, volleyball and basketball Monday and Thursday nights. And then Wednesday, one of my favorites, breakfast for supper for our Wednesday night supper. So make sure you sign up and attend for that. And then Awana's Connect Groups, Youth, Midweek Prayer, Bible Study, and all those. And an exciting day for the teenage group going to the Pickle Barrel for lunch on Thursday. I must confess, it's in Ashland apparently. It's a restaurant in Ashland. At, at staff meeting, Tim was just saying, they're going to Pickle. They're going to Pickle. And I had no idea what the pickle was. And so I like pickles. So if there's good pickles, I'm in. So um, keep them in prayer for that uh, day on Thursday. Anything else, Tim, announcement-wise? All right. Linda? Good morning. Good morning. <gasps> wow, I'm impressed. Y'all are learning. I'm so happy for you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen? Amen. God is a mighty God, is he not? Amen. Oh, come on now. The amen's not as strong as the good morning. God is a mighty God, is he not? Amen. amen. I'd like you to stand. We're going to sing our call to worship. But before we start singing while Dwight's just strumming on his guitar, please meet and greet your fellow camaraderies. 
you know, I heard we're not supposed to be shaking hands because of the flu, so now we have to do fist bumps is what I hear. I don't know. You go greet and meet any way you want to and listen for us, me to start singing. Good morning, stand. Go say hello. What a mighty God we serve. Hello. I love you. Say something positive. better than the mugging last week. <laughs> James chapter 5, starting with verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift it is to come before you in prayer. We thank you, God, for being in control and answering every single prayer that we give. God, we thank you that you are a good God and that you know what is best for us. And you know the reason behind our joys and our sufferings. God, we put all things in your hands and we rejoice for you are good. God, we do, we do know that you are a mighty God and that you are here in this place with us and that you are the one who brings our hope 
and our joy and our life. So God, we give you this service this day, and we pray that you would be honored and you'd be glorified in every single thing that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we celebrate communion this morning, we think about the sacrifices that this mighty God made for each of us. And I invite you to turn in your hymnals to hymn number 251, Lead Me to Calvary. Let's stand together as we sing number 251. seated.
Jesus taught his disciples about suffering, he said to his disciples on more than one occasion that he was to suffer and to die and in so doing give us life. But like all people, the disciples weren't ready to hear that someone that they had built a relationship with that loved them and whom they loved would suffer. And so they protested his suffering. To the point even when he fixed his eyes to Jerusalem, as we read in the Gospel of Luke, the disciples said, well, if he's going to Jerusalem to die, we'll just go with him. And yet they did not want him to suffer. Even in the garden, when they came to arrest him, Peter tried to stop the arrest. And Jesus made it very plain to him, Peter, this is not the way. But through suffering, he brought to us salvation. And he knew what suffering was the night that he was with his disciples in the upper room. And so he gave them a symbol to hold on to that would allow them to remember the price paid for their sins. And so we come together around the table today recognizing through the body and blood of Jesus Christ the sacrifice that was made. And the scripture teaches us on the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and when he had broken it and blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, for as often as you eat this, remember me. After they had eaten, he took the cup and said to them, This is the new covenant in my blood, for as often as you drink it, remember me. The Apostle Paul reminds us, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. In Philippians 4, 6, we read, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, let your request be made known to God. Let's take our hymnals and turn to one of our wonderful hymns of faith that reassures us about how God is always there for us. Hymn number 154, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. 154, let's stand together as we sing.
please remain standing for our offertory prayer. Good morning. morning. I want to share a scripture with you. We hear about this a lot, Malachi 3.10, but we never talk about the back half of this. And it says, bring the whole tide into the storehouse that there there may be food in my house. Then it says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not... If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will be not be enough room to store it. We know emphasize on that testing part. And I say this because those of us who were in our business meetings saw what happens when we give from our heart. We surpassed our budget with our giving. In sending out our shoe boxes for Christmas, we surpassed our postage by through our giving. When we give from our heart and we give to God and not just to the church, the Lord will pour out a blessing upon us that we cannot stand. God is awesome, and he is great to be served. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, O Lord, a few of your believers gathered together, O Lord, to sing praises to thy name, to lift you up because you have been so merciful unto us. Your love has rained down upon us, O God, in ways that we cannot stand. It is not because we've been so righteous, not because we've said things so right, but because of your love and your mercy is why we are here and, O oh God, we bring these tithes and offerings to you this morning, O oh God. We present them for, to you, O oh God, in a way that we hope that you will accept it. And we pray, O oh God, that you will use it in the way that you want it to be used, not in the way that we want it to be used. We ask, O oh God, that you bless the giver and the gift. And again, O oh Lord, that it be used in thy service. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
Shall we pray? Gracious and loving God, into your presence we come, recognizing your sovereignty over us and your willingness to suffer on our behalf. Help us, Father, to recognize the great love you have shown for us through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to minister in the name of Jesus to those who are hurting and suffering, even out of our suffering and need. Thank you for each person here this morning and for what they represent and who they are and for their families. We pray, Father, that you would use us and bless us out of the abundance of your glory shown to us through Jesus. We pray this morning, Father, for those who are ill, for those who are facing surgery, for those who are recuperating from illness, for those, Father, who are in rehab facilities and nursing homes and wherever they may find themselves this morning. We give them to you and know that you can bring healing For you have asked us to pray. And for those who have lost loved ones, Father, we pray that you will bless them. Comfort them. Draw near to them. For our missionaries, we pray. Help them, Father, to minister to those who have great needs. The greatest need of all is salvation. Bring to them, Father, joy in their ministries. Bring to them hope as they seek to bring hope to others. Minister through them, Father, in a way that people's lives can be blessed. We are grateful for this church, for the work and ministries of this place, for those who make our time here today possible. We pray that you will accept our praise and our adoration. That as we come to you, we might feel the power of your love through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Strong. 
we continue our study this morning in 1 Peter. We will conclude next week our study in chapter 5, but today we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through the end of the chapter, verse 19. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ... Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. People deal with pain in different ways. Some sufferers strike out in rage, attacking whoever is in the way. Others turn inward, withdrawing from anything that adds weight or to the weight bearing down on them. A few transform the pain into motivation for achievement, hoping to ease their hurt with self-affirmation. But none of these futile efforts escape the persistent ache that pursues the sufferer. Pain often affects people's relationships with one another. Aggressive persons might lash out and inflict their personal pain on others. Passive individuals sometimes withdraw into a shell to protect themselves from hurtful situations. Believers should reject both temptations. In Christ, we have a better solution to suffering. Suffering for Jesus' sake also presents challenges, but it also holds opportunities. Believers who suffer because of their faith experience pain just like anyone else. However, they can experience God's grace and strength in the midst of suffering. They also are able to use their response to pain as a witness for Christ. A woman by the name of Frances was one such person. 
Frances was in her early 50s when she became a follower of Jesus. Her previous life was filled with painful experiences, including divorce and poverty. In Christ, she found healing for her past and hope for her future. One day, her faith was severely tested when her employer demanded she do something unethical at her job. When she refused because of her faith, he fired her. Already struggling financially, the loss of her paycheck threatened to make her homeless. She knew Jesus had suffered much worse for her salvation, so she maintained her trust in Jesus. Eventually, she had a new job and started catching up on her bills. Francis used her story as a testimony so other people might know the Savior she loved. Her story could have been duplicated among the suffering saints in Asia Minor in the first century. In last week's sermon, we studied the causes of suffering. In this passage, Peter offered several solutions for handling suffering. He ministered to the believers by pointing them to the renewing reality of a victorious Messiah and the healing environment of Christ's church. Just as Jesus overcame suffering and death, through Him believers can find strength to deal with whatever pain enters our lives. People dislike going to doctors or specialists when they anticipate the procedures may involve some level of pain. No one enjoys suffering, but unlike skipping doctor's appointments, we cannot avoid hurt in our life. Even missing a dentist appointment can end up causing greater pain in the long run. Peter's epistle describes three motivations that help us deal with pain in our lives. We cannot avoid suffering, but we can honor the Lord in spite of suffering. God wants us not merely to endure pain, but to overcome it. And so we look at these verses in the latter half of 1 Peter chapter 4 and we find some ways in which we can solve the mystery of suffering and overcome it. First, we look at verses 7 through 11 and we see first that Peter said that we are to foster positive relationships. Peter began his litany of hope by encouraging the Christians to respond to their suffering by living in a right relationship with each other. In doing so, he offered several specific actions. First, pray passionately. They should engage in prayer. Not only should they pray about their personal needs, they had the privilege of also praying for one another. Intercession helps us focus on other people rather than our own problems. We look outward instead of inward. Instead of leaving us to wallow in self-pity, prayer draws us outside the circle of our pain and gives us a larger perspective in light of others' suffering. We know that we can always find someone who is suffering worse than we are. All we have to do is go into the hospital, even if we dismiss now, and walk there and see what was going on. We would see people who are suffering far greater than any of us probably have suffered in our entire lives. 
But that doesn't mean that we don't suffer. And I want to be clear about this. If you define what's happening to you as suffering, then it's suffering. And what you consider to be suffering may be different than what I consider to be suffering. But one way, Peter says, that we can overcome how we suffer is to look outward and pray for those who are suffering around us. For prayer also brings the situation before the throne of God where we can find grace and help in our times of need. If God can perform miracles in other people's lives, He can perform miracles in our lives too. Peter encouraged believers to be alert and sober-minded about their prayers. The word translated sober-minded is very similar in meaning to the term rendered as alert. Both suggest suffering believers should be disciplined and serious about prayer. James taught, as Dwight read earlier, that the fervent prayer of righteous people is effective as we pray for ourselves and others. If our belief in prayer does not drive us to our knees with urgency, perhaps we are not earnest about either the need or the efficacy of prayer. Prayer works in people's lives. Prayer has worked in my life and prayer has worked in your life. The difficulty with us so many times as we look at prayer through suffering, we don't always feel that those answers are there. But God answers prayer. If He didn't answer prayer, He wouldn't ask us, command us, encourage us to pray. Prayer makes a difference. And Peter understood that, that prayer makes a difference when people suffer. It draws us closer to God. Then the other thing that Peter said in these first verses that we read, love others deeply. In addition to praying, Peter encouraged the believers to maintain an intense love for each other. The Christians of Asia Minor share similar circumstances. Most of them were suffering in one way or another because of their faith in Jesus. Instead of allowing pain to harm their relationships in the body of Christ, Peter urged them to intensify their love for one another. Peter's indication that love covers a multitude of sins does not mean sins are forgiven because we love someone. Only Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection provide atonement for sin. Some commentators rightly argue that this phrase means the person who loves overlooks the sin of the person who is loved. When personal pain makes us overly sensitive to offenses by other people, we are tempted to lash out to to them or withdraw from them. In the church, suffering should move us to intensify our love for one another so we might look past people's sins and see that they might also be hurting. Love produces empathy, which in turn allows us to be more concerned about the other person than whatever offense we might have experienced. If we love, we can help people overcome suffering. The closest I can come to an understanding of that is with your children. You remember when your children were young and they would become ill. And you would tend to that sick child even though the sick child may have something that was contagious, right? 
like the flu. You would still care for the child, wouldn't you, in their suffering? With no thought of what might happen to you. Well, you might have thought about it a little bit, but it didn't matter. You still tended to the child, didn't you? I see these posts on Facebook all the time where people are ill and uh, the next thing that they'll say is, I sure hope I don't get it. But that doesn't mean that they're not helping the person who has it, does it? So Peter is using that principle to say to us that if we are to overcome suffering and help others overcome suffering, we must let them know they are loved. And then he says, serve others generously. Peter, like Paul, emphasized the purpose of spiritual gifts is to serve others. Gifts are not self-promotion but exist to enable each Christian to minister to others in the church. One of the side effects of suffering is the tendency to become self-absorbed. Hurting people may feel they deserve extra consideration because they are going through difficulties. Instead, Peter urged them to use their gifts for the good of others as an expression of true love. By using their gifts to serve others, Christians not only fulfill the love of Christ and benefit the body of Christ, but they also find themselves experiencing God's grace as they channel that grace to others. You see, we become an instrument for God. We impart grace to others and therefore we see the grace of God. And then he says, speak to others graciously. Peter reminded the believers that each person should speak as one who speaks God's words. Peter was not saying that human beings can actually speak in the way that God does. Rather, we should be mindful to use language that echoes the word of God. Two, we should speak in such a manner that glorifies the Lord. Both what we say and the way we say it reflects on our relationship with Christ. If we truly love people in the body of Christ, we will speak kindly in order to edify each other. He gives us some practical advice about our relationships with others as we deal with suffering. Suffering is a way that God can use others to help us help them. In verses 12 through 14, he takes us back to where he always has taken us back to. And that is, if we are to overcome, if we are to find a solution to suffering, we must follow Jesus' example. People who suffer great pain already bear a heavy burden. Peter did not rebuke the believers for their reaction to the difficulties surrounding them, but addressed his dear friends with tenderness. He wanted them to understand that suffering is a normal process for followers of Christ. Because Jesus suffered, we should not be surprised when we are persecuted. As mentioned earlier, Jesus warned His disciples they would experience tribulation in this world because of their allegiance to Christ. The church of the dispersion may not have heard Jesus' teachings personally, so Peter was sharing the reality facing most Christians. Notice that he did not say if, but when the fiery ordeal comes upon us. He did not doubt they would suffer further trials and wanted them to be prepared. It was not a matter of if, 
It was a matter of when the suffering would occur. Suffering is part of living. And Peter wants us to acknowledge that in the presence of God and see how that through Christ's suffering we have been saved. Peter had used the metaphor of a fiery trial early in his letter in chapter 1. However, for many believers the fires were not metaphorical in nature but actual. During the persecution by the emperor Nero a few years later after Peter had written Peter would be martyred and Christians would be soaked in tar and set on fire to light the night sky of Rome. They suffered for what they believed. And he also asked us to rejoice that we can share in Christ's suffering. The purpose of trials was twofold. To test them and to allow them to share in the sufferings of Christ. While the word test can be rendered temptation, in this context it referred to the process of purification. God does not introduce temptations into our lives in order to lure us into sin. He does allow us to experience difficulties in order to prove us as fire refines precious metal. Christians should expect to undergo these kinds of experiences. Persecution would be the normal condition for people who follow a Christ who was hated by the world. Jesus himself said, they will hate you because they hated me. Ridicule is blessing when suffering for Christ's sake. As they joined in Christ's sufferings, believers could rejoice. Notice that Peter did not say they would experience the emotion of joy. The term rejoice is an action verb. As Christians, we can decide to rejoice that we are allowed to share in Christ's suffering. It takes effort. It's not passive. It is active. We can rejoice because we recognize that through suffering, Christ is able to use us. Peter charged the believers to turn their sorrow into rejoicing by seeing past their immediate circumstances to the larger value of being a part of Jesus' suffering. He always calls us to the bigger picture. And that's difficult for us, isn't it? It's difficult for us to see the big picture because so many times we're caught up in the here and now and we don't see how that God can use the here and now to make the future better. But God is able to do that. And I know that if you think back in your experiences in life, you can see that is how that occurred. Suffering came. And out of that suffering came something better than before. But it's so difficult for us because we have difficulty seeing the big picture that Peter tries to show these first century believers by pointing them to the glory of Christ and His coming. Throughout their ordeals, persecuted saints could be encouraged and empowered because the Holy Spirit rests on them. The word rest conveys the idea of remaining and residing. He does not come and go like a fickle friend, but remains in each believer. His presence makes Christians blessed because He resides with them to comfort, strengthen, and guide. He glorifies Christ as they respond to trials according to His grace and mercy. Jesus Himself said to His disciples, I will not leave you without a comforter. I will send the comforter, the Spirit, to be among you. 
we can live rejoicing and joyously even as we anticipate suffering for Christ's sake because we do not face opposition alone. Christ sent His Holy Spirit to live within each believer enabling every one of us to respond to persecution in a way that can glorify Christ. In verses 15 through 19, He tells us to forsake sin in order to overcome suffering. People who experience suffering may be tempted to yield to their pain. Instead of following Christ's pattern, they sometimes express anguish in sinful ways. Hurting people may fail to recognize that they are causing themselves more pain as they come under God's chastening hand. Because all people face God's judgment, we should live in a way that honors Him even during difficult days. Look at what he says. But let none of you suffer, in verse 15, as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. He acknowledges to us that suffering comes as a result of sin. And the solution to overcoming that suffering is to not sin but live to the glory of Christ even in suffering. Desperate people sometimes do desperate things, don't they? And Peter is asking the believers to recognize that their desperation at that moment is temporary because God is in control. Suffer for righteousness, he says, not wickedness. If anyone suffers, it should not be as a result of sin. On the other hand, should someone experience persecution because he or she is a Christian, that person has nothing for which to be ashamed. Although he suffered numerous indignities for his faith, Paul declared in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that he was not ashamed of the gospel. This verse stands in contrast to 1 Peter 3.16 that urges believers to display the kind of righteousness that will make the non-believers ashamed for slandering them. Christians who suffer for following Jesus should not be ashamed, but should glorify God by bearing that name Christian. Believers can claim the aid of the indwelling Holy Spirit for grace and strength necessary to respond to distress in a way that glorifies God. And then he says, face judgment with confidence, not fear. Motivation for right living can find many forms. Peter emphasized the imminent judgment of God. Peter had emphasized that God's holy character demands His people reflect His righteousness. Therefore, one should expect God to bring to bear whatever measures necessary to remove false Christians and to bring sinful believers to repentance. Jesus will sit in judgment of the entire world. In his first epistle, John urged believers to live in such a way that they would not be ashamed of Christ appearing. In his second letter, Peter prophesied about the end of the world and urged his readers to consider what sort of persons they should be in all holiness and godliness. And in this passage, Peter declared people would face judgment not only upon Jesus' second coming, but their immediate situation for the time has come. When Peter said the time has come, he was not looking into the distant future. He understood judgment had already begun. 
Peter apparently considered the persecution of Christians to be an aspect of God's judgment. Peter had emphasized that God's holy character demands His people reflect His righteousness. But Peter is saying that judgment is coming. And don't be ashamed. You know how it was when you did something wrong when you were a child and your mother said to you, Wait until your daddy gets home. That changed the whole attitude of the day, didn't it? You tried everything you possibly could do to make it right, didn't you? Because when daddy got home, judgment was upon you. Peter is saying very clearly here, and I don't want to make light of it. He's saying, live your life today through suffering as if your daddy is coming home this afternoon. Allow the Lord to guide you. He says, be saved, not sorry. Jesus warned that anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. God wants people to be saved, not condemned. Still, He will exercise His righteous judgment on everyone who rejects His Son. No rational and honest person could expect God to sacrifice His only begotten Son to provide the means of salvation for rebellious sinners, then overlook persons who refuse such a great salvation. Whatever types of assaults we as believers might endure, we can entrust ourselves to the Father's care. Our ultimate response to suffering is not to retreat from the world or to retaliate against persons who reject us. Our hope is not in worldly legislation or economic power. The believer's trust lies in the one who saved us through the death and resurrection of his son. Having given so much to adopt us as his children, he will not forsake us in our time of need. And Peter was writing this letter to encourage people who were suffering. Suffering in ways that we cannot even imagine. As they were persecuted in the dispersion in Asia Minor. And so he calls them to be encouragers to one another, to pray for one another, to speak a good word. You know, it's one thing to have to take it from the world. It's another thing to have to take it from fellow believers, isn't it? And that's basically what Peter is saying. Live together in love. Pursue suffering in such a way that you understand that through suffering, someone else's life might be changed, and yours could be as well. How many people have stood before us and given a testimony to their suffering? Only to bless and encourage us as they found blessings and encouragement through their suffering. Peter wants us to understand what he has wanted us to understand from the beginning of this letter. Always default to Christ. Look at how he suffered. As we said at the time of communion, the disciples didn't want Jesus to suffer, did they? They tried to get him to go another way. And even Jesus prayed at one time. Oh Lord, if there be any other way, 
But sometimes suffering is the only way forward. And Jesus is our example. Expect suffering. But expect to rejoice in suffering. As the Lord leads you. Through the presence of his spirit. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful for the power of these words from your servant Peter. He has shown us clearly the significance and importance of suffering. But through our suffering, Father, we can grow and learn and teach others. May we look at suffering in a different light. Look at it through a bigger picture, a larger window, so that we might see how that God could use our suffering. Use us, Lord, as your servants. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 511. You can never understand how you can rejoice in suffering until you come to terms with salvation in Jesus Christ. So the invitation is given to anyone who would receive Christ as Savior, to anyone who would admit that they are a sinner and seek Christ. Suffering's going to come. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but sometime, already in your life probably, but sometime in the future, you'll have physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering. It's a fact of life. And how we move forward from that suffering determines who we are in relationship to Christ. Will you stand as we sing the solid rock? Christ the Son.
Chuck, in the back, I, I know you're... Check and make sure there's no ice out there. I, I just want to make sure that, you know, I don't want somebody to go out and be surprised. I don't think there is any, but I just want to make sure there's no ice because, you know, we were kind of right on that line, and it was 32. Were we okay? All right. We, we were at 32 degrees between Sunday school and, um, I mean, between first service and Sunday school, and I wanted to make sure that there was no, okay, we're in good shape. Just just check because that will surprise you, and that wouldn't be a good thing for any of us, would it? So, uh, anyway, I also want to tell you that this is the first uh, Sunday in the month, so we have our benevolence offering. And remember, half of your benevolence offering goes to MSEF to help with the needs there um, that they uh, take care of. And one of the things that we're also doing is we're giving up our uh, food pantry here and taking the food to them so that they can manage that now because they vet the people and, and have records of who's there and so forth. So they will be taking care of that from now on. Uh, but half of our benevolence offering stays here to help our members uh, who have needs and other people in the community that we can, can help with in a financial way that MSEF can't do uh, in the same way that we can do. And I anticipate we'll be getting some calls about electric bills because of last month's cold, you know. So uh, anyway, just want to make you aware of that, that uh, that benevolence offering does go to help people who have needs in our uh, Mechanicsville community and also to uh, MSEF. So uh, I wanted to let you know that. Thank you for your uh, kind attendance today and being here. Um, we were very fortunate today and blessed. I checked before I came up here. I was looking at the radar. That was one reason I was aware of that. And everything west of here got ice and snow. And so all the churches in the western half of the state are closed today. Uh, I went and looked and saw the list, the long list out in Roanoke and uh, even through Lynchburg and all up through there. All those churches are closed today. So we were very fortunate that the weather bug didn't get us. Uh, so I'm grateful you're here today. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we leave today, we do so with the full assurance that you go with us. Your abiding presence always gives to us hope, even in the midst of suffering, if we can only see it. Help us, Father, to see it and help us to help others to see it as we seek to impart grace to people through the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.